has the, the Good Shepherd's Discourse. And really, when you study the Gospel of John, you're going to discover that there are, are seven miracles that the Lord focuses in on, and then that brings up seven discourses. And in each of the seven discourses, there's one of the I Am statements, one of seven I Am statements that Jesus makes. And we look at the Gospel of John, sometimes we, we ask the question, well, we've got all these Gospels, four Gospels. Why the Gospel of John? Well, we're told that in John chapter 20. John tells us why he wrote. He says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you would have life in his name. So John lays out to us these events so that we can grab a hold of who Jesus is. What did Jesus do? What did he accomplish? And, and the fact that, that he, he proclaimed his deity, he proclaimed his messiahship, he revealed himself, but who did he reveal himself to? He revealed himself to the blind man. He revealed himself to, to a leper. He revealed himself to people that were caught in, in, in an understanding that I need a savior. Now, to those who thought everything was okay, the scribes and the Pharisees, we're, we're good enough. I mean, we don't, we don't need this Messiah. He would come to them and he would speak to them sometimes plainly, sometimes in parables. Because Jesus said, seeing you won't see. Hearing you won't understand. And we're going to discover, folks, that the thing that separated the scribes and the Pharisees from those who believed is just a simple thing. Those who believed, believed the Word of God. They believed what God's Word taught. They believed what God's Word said. And so, as a result, when Jesus came and He revealed Himself, they saw this is a fulfillment of Scripture. But those who thought everything was just fine, everything's good the way it is, I like the power I have, the prestige I have, I'm not looking for someone to upset the apple cart, their eyes were closed. They wouldn't receive the Word of God as anything more than words on a page and a tradition and a ritual that we go through. We always want to guard ourselves that our belief does never become just a ritual, just a thing we do because, hey, it's Sunday, that's what we do. We, we go to church, but that it's real, that the words that we read are living and powerful and able to shape our lives and to change our lives and to develop us into the men and women that God's calling us to be. So that's what we want. When I, when I first went to, to Bible college, and Bible college is such an exciting time, uh, I remember as I was going through, I had a professor, and he, uh, he was always speaking Latin to me. And for the life of me, I can't remember any of the Latin he ever said. But the one thing I remember was he told me, don't ever let the Bible be a textbook. Because it's so much more than just a textbook. It's living, powerful, and it'll shape your life. And so that's the attitude that we want to have. That's the attitude we want to come to the Scriptures with. Well, you remember last week as we finished up, it says in verse 19 of chapter 10, there was therefore a division among the Jews because of the things Jesus said. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And then from verse 21 to verse 22, wait, listen, did you hear it? Two months just went by. Whoosh. When you get old like me, you realize, or older, you realize that 
man, time flies, don't it? It goes quickly. Sometimes in one verse, two months will pass. So in verse 22, it says, Now it was a feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Now there's a couple of important things we need to realize from this. Folks, the feast of dedication wasn't one of the feasts that God gave in the Old Testament. The feast of dedication wasn't one of the times that a a Jewish man was required to go to Jerusalem. The feast of dedication arose out of a tradition. Some say a legend. The legend was that in 168 B.C., there was a man. His name was Antiochus. He gave himself the title uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus, and he would say what his name meant was God manifests in the flesh. Wow, pretty bold guy, huh? Well, he conquered Jerusalem. He went into the temple of Jerusalem. He set up this statue of Zeus and he required that all the the children of Israel coming to the temple bow down and pray to Zeus, that their worship was over. He sacrificed a pig on the altar, splashed pig's blood all over the place, and began a revolt. It was called the Maccabean Revolt, led by Matthias Maccabeus. Well, he, he starts this revolt. Him and his brothers, they fight. They battle against Antiochus Epiphany. They, 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 they chase him out of, of town, in essence. They go in and they cleanse the temple. This is a simplified version, by the way. They go in and they cleanse the temple. And as they're cleansing the temple, they're lighting that menorah, that menorah that stands. The only thing that lights the inside of the, of the temple is the menorah. And as they're lighting that menorah, they discover something. They don't have enough oil. They only have enough oil to light it and for it to remain lit for one day. And it takes eight days for them to consecrate and make more oil for the menorah. And so they lit the menorah and they began to work for eight days to prepare the the oil for use. And the miracle is that the menorah stayed lit for eight days. And there is where we get Hanukkah which is the Feast of Dedication, which comes always around Christmas time. And you know the cool thing about it? Even though the Old Testament doesn't give us a story, even though God didn't ordain that men should go to the, to the Feast of Dedication, where was Jesus? He was there. He was celebrating a feast that God didn't ordain. He was gathering with the people on Hanukkah. Christmas time. And so, as we look at this, there's two things. First, that Jesus was, was blessing this time of year with his presence. A lot of people ask me, should we celebrate Christmas? Shouldn't we celebrate Christmas? It's, it's got its foundation in, in pagan things, it's got foundation in legend. But I look at the, at the scriptures and I see Jesus celebrating Hanukkah. The Bible doesn't tell us whether that truly happened or didn't happen. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't, yet Jesus celebrated it, and it became all about the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And so we can celebrate Christmas as long as Christmas is about what? The light of the world, Jesus Christ. Don't take Christ out of Christmas. Leave him there. That's where he belongs. That, that sanctifies the celebration. Well, and it says, and it was winter. Now that always reminds me of Jeremiah 8.20. Jeremiah 8.20 is this sad verse that says, the harvest is past, the summer has ended, 
and we are not saved. Because as we come into this section of Scripture, you're going to see Jesus depart from his public ministry and move toward a private one. This is where he begins to withdraw from the people. And you're not going to see him in front of 5,000 and thousands of people again because he begins to withdraw. The time is winter. And Jesus, he walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long are you going to keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. I mean, are you serious? Have you been going through the Gospel of John with me? How many different ways can Jesus say that he's the Christ? The Gospels tell us that when Jesus began his ministry, he walked into the synagogue, he opened the Bible, Isaiah chapter 61, and he read Isaiah 61, which clearly declares the time that the Messiah would come. As he reads that section of scripture, he closes up Isaiah and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In essence, he said, this is a scripture of the Messiah and I'm here. And they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They tried to throw him off a cliff. Jesus is going to declare to them in verse 25, I told you, and you do not believe. Listen, if we won't receive the word of God, are you going to recognize it when you see the signs and the, and the miracles? If you don't believe the word, miracle's not going to change nothing in your life. Miracle's not going to make any difference because it didn't make any difference with the Pharisees, did it? They didn't believe the word. They didn't believe what Jesus Christ said. He said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. As I said to you, you don't belong to me. You don't believe my word. You're not my sheep. You won't hear. You refuse to hear and to see. Folks, the word of God... The, the, the book of Leviticus is an exciting book. And I'm sure if I said, we're going to start studying the book of Leviticus, I'd have hundreds of people coming from everywhere to sit down and, and study the book of Leviticus. But when we look at the book of Leviticus, you know, in Leviticus chapter 13, there's this section that tells the priest what to do when a leper is cleansed. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years when people would come to the priests to be examined and be declared leprous, but never did they come to be examined because they were healed. Except when Jesus came. All of a sudden when Jesus came, we know in one day how many lepers? Ten lepers. In one day, ten lepers show up at the temple. Hey, we were healed. Shouldn't that start to sink in? Something is going on. I mean, for my father before me and his father before him and his before, I even stopped reading Leviticus 13 because I figured it's a chapter we're never going to use. And all of a sudden, in one day 10, the eyes of the blind are open, the lame walk, the deaf can hear. There's a funeral procession coming out of Jerusalem as Jesus is going in. What happened? He raised the dead as, a guy, as they're coming out. He raises the dead. He said, my works speak for me. But where was it that the works spoke? Folks, if you, if you look in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 35, beginning at verse 3, Old Testament scriptures, scriptures that would have been read in synagogue throughout the year, 
Beginning in verse 3, it says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And what? The eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the dumb shall sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool. The thirsty land will become springs of water. Inhabitation of jackals where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. The scripture said when the Messiah comes, what are you going to see? The blind are going to see. The lame will leap like a deer. What has Jesus been doing? And every time he healed somebody, what did Pharisees want to do? Stone him. Because they didn't do it on a day they felt like he should have done it. All caught up in their self-righteousness and their legalism. Did they believe the word? They didn't believe what God's word taught. They didn't believe. Folks, in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist is, is sending word uh, to Jesus. John called two of his disciples to him and sent them to Jesus and said, Are you the coming one or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John has sent us to you. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And at that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He's saying, go tell John what you see. Because John knows what the Scripture says. John knew what the Scriptures declared, and so he could recognize, clearly, this is the work of the Messiah. But here we have the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, and despite all these things, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly, are you the Anointed One? Jesus said, it's not going to matter what I tell you, because you won't believe. You won't receive the word. You won't receive what's already been given. In verse 27 he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And listen, they shall never perish. There's no more emphatic way that Jesus could say that when you're his sheep, you are secure in your salvation. My sheep I give eternal life and they shall never perish. Jesus will not lose one of his sheep. He won't lose a one. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we believe and we've submitted ourselves to the Father, we experience the, the reality of, of salvation. The Lord declares, you're my sheep and you're safe. You're secure. When does eternal life begin? When does it end? And if it doesn't, will my, will my salvation end? What does the Bible teach us? I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded. Who keeps me? He keeps me. If salvation depends on me, I'll mess it up. Won't I? But don't the scriptures teach us if it depended on man, he'd, he'd mess up? 
He'd make a mistake. He'd fall. Every single person we read about in the scriptures, we read about some issue or some trouble that they had in regard to being able to walk, you know, perfectly before God. But our salvation doesn't depend on us. Who does it depend on? Jesus Christ. And he is able. So these sheep that are mine, these sheep, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. No one can steal a sheep from God. No one's going to come along and accidentally lose their salvation. No one's going to be fooled or deceived into losing their salvation. Because Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Then he says, my Father who has given them to me, He is greater than all. My Father who gave me these sheep. My Father gave me these sheep. There's nothing the sheep did. The Father gave them to Jesus. And he says, my Father who gave them is greater than all. When he talks about being greater than all, there are people who will look at that scripture and say, well, if God, if Jesus is God, how is God greater? Simple. He's greater in position, not in nature. He's greater. We experience that in our world all the time, don't we? When I was in the Marine Corps, there were people who were greater in position than I that told me when to get up, when to go to sleep, what to do. They weren't greater in nature. They were a man just like me. But they were greater in position. This is what Jesus is talking about. My Father, who is greater than all, He has given them to me, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I like to picture like Jesus has us like this and the Father's hand is over the top. It's all closed off. It's, we're secure. It's important that we realize our salvation is secure. You're not going to, to somehow make a mistake and commit the unpardonable sin. That's not going to happen. For you belong to Jesus and He won't lose any that belong to Him. I I see a pattern of that in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, we're dealing with the tribulation period, the roughest time on earth ever in history, right? 6 through 19, all these horrible things happening. But what do we see during that time? 144,000 sealed by God in God's hand. At the beginning of chapter 7, we see them sealed to move forward and do the work that God has specifically called them to do. The Bible declares... 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel will be the ones that go for us 144,000. When we get to chapter 19, how many are left? 130? 144. 144 are left. Survived everything that took place. Every judgment that fell. Every issue that took... uh, How many people trying to kill them? Whatever the case, their lives were secure because they were secure in the hands of of God as we are secure in our salvation in the hands of our Savior that he cares for us and then in verse 30 we know this one right I and my father are one the gray Shema in Deuteronomy says hear O Israel the Lord your God the Lord is one God right How can this all work? How does this all work out? Because in Deuteronomy where it says the Lord is one God, it says Echad in the Hebrew. 
Echad, E-C-H-A-D. The hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is Echad. In Genesis, we see that same word used again. You know how? As God is bringing Eve to Adam, he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become Echad, unified, one, one in will, one in purpose. The two have become one. We see it in marriage, don't we? Well, here we see God declaring in the Old Testament, not that I am one and only God, but that I am compound unity. I am like one cluster of grapes. I am one group. I am one. I am Echad. And then Jesus comes to us in the Gospel of John and says, I and the Father are one. Now, if any time we're thinking we're going to miss out on what Jesus is saying, all you have to do is watch what the scribes and the Pharisees do because they'll reveal to us what it was that Jesus was doing. Take a look. And the Jews took up stones to stone him. Why are they picking up stones? Why are they wanting to destroy Jesus? Because he said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said to them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? What is it that I have done? Jesus is facing the Pharisees totally and completely without fear, isn't he? Because he knows his life is in whose hands? God's. Life is in the Father's hands. And no one has power over any of us unless Jesus gives it to him. Jesus would say to Pilate when he was facing crucifixion, you would have no power over me if it hadn't been given to you. Jesus, his, his, all his trust, his, his faith, everything in the Father's hands, God's taking care of me. He doesn't have to be afraid of those who are coming against him because he knows God's plan for his life. He knows that there's nothing they're going to be able to do to him unless God gives them the ability to do it. And if it's God-given, then it's there to teach us, to help us grow, to develop character, to become the men and women God is calling us to be. So he faces this group of people without fear. And Jesus said, These things which you've seen me do and greater you shall be able to do. You mean we can face our accusers without fear? We can stand in the face of, of incredible odds without being afraid? 1958. This group of missionaries, they move out to Ecuador. And as they're setting up their, their base camp, their, the, the moms all stay with the children and the dads would go out and try to reach out into these, uh, these tribes that had not been touched by the outside world. And so they're excited, they're starting to, to be able to, to make an effect. They think that this group that they're trying to reach out to is, is open, so they're going to have a personal meeting. So the dads, they all get into this plane and they fly over, they land it right next to the, to the Amazon River, they move out to a little clearing, and they, they're presenting gifts and they're reaching out to this group of people. But do they know, do they know as they're standing there, that a young woman and a young man had been sneaking out from the tribe together and they weren't allowed to be together. 
Do they know that that young woman and young man are going to go back to the tribe and lie? Instead of saying that they were out in the jungle together, they're going to lie and tell the people at the tribe that these people in this big yellow plane kidnapped them. And so they're going to send a war party. And as that war party comes, as they come through the brush with their spears and their bows and and their implements of destruction, as they face down on those missionary men who have families, do you know they have a rifle that they never used? Because the missionaries knew if I shoot them, they're going to go to hell. So they were slaughtered. Every father left behind him a wife and a son that may never know, you know, what could have been. But you know what took place? The wives continue to reach out to the same tribes that killed their husbands. And the boys who lost their father could sit next to a boy who, whose father had also been murdered because it was a very bloodthirsty tribe, and they could relate to one another. And God saved them all. Everyone. Because those men who stood in that clearing were able to say, I can face my accusers without fear because whatever happens cannot happen apart from God directing it. And as God directed it, he brought about incredible things. But you see, these guys were living their life submitted to God, submitted to him. It wasn't about what's best for me, what's best for my family. It's what do you have for me, Lord? What are you, how are you directing me, God? And God worked miracles that nobody can understand. One of the women wrote a book, Through the Gates of Splendor. The story of Jim Elliott and his friends as they, as they followed through with what God had. We see Jesus here the same way, facing an onslaught, but not in fear. He's calm. So for which of the good works are you going to stone me? Which of these, why are you going to do this? And the Jews answered him and said, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself God. In the construct of the Greek, it is literally saying, you being a man, constantly make yourself God. As Jesus was doing it all the time. He wasn't afraid to declare his divinity and who he was. He wasn't afraid about those things. But here they are. They come before him and they say, you're just a man and you make yourself to be God. Why didn't they see him as God? Did the Bible say that God was coming? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive. And you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham and Isaac are going to the mountain that God would show him. And he said, hey, as we go to this mountain, we go up in this place. You're going to offer your son as a sacrifice in this place. And so they get up to the mountain. On the way up the mountain, Isaac looks over to his father and says, dad, we have the fire and the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb. How was that? 
God will provide himself. God will become the lamb. And what is it that John said when he saw Jesus? Behold what? The lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Behold the lamb. Yet the Pharisees couldn't see. Why couldn't they see? Because they didn't believe the word. They didn't believe what God's word said. It's words on a page. It's a ritual. It's a thing I go through. It's not a reality. It's just this this thing that, that I see here. So Jesus presents them with an argument. Jesus answered and said, Is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. And Psalm 82, 6. God says to these judges, Behold, you will be as God to the people. When the people come to you, you'll make your judgment. And it will be the judgment as though it had come from me. If they rebel against you, it will be the same as if they're rebelling against me. Was that uncommon? If you read the book of Exodus, didn't God say to Moses, you will be as God to Moses? And if these people, if God said that to these people, who are just judges or who are just the deliverer, just people raised up, then why would it be that the Messiah could not say it? That's what he's getting to. Look what it says. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent to the world, you are blaspheming because you said, I am the Son of God? That is what, listen, this is what Jesus is saying, and the Pharisees don't miss it. Jesus is saying, if God said these judges could be as God to the people, how can you say, me as the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, the promised Lamb of God, the one born of a virgin who was to be called Emmanuel, God with us, how can you say, I cannot say, that I am the Son of God? Well, the Pharisees, they get mad. They get mad all the time, don't they? They're cranky guys. How's that song go? I don't want to be a Pharisee because they ain't fair, you see. They're not fair. And I don't want to be a Sadducee because, well, they're so sad, you see. So I don't want to be a Sadducee. Now I should sing the whole song now, huh? I just want to be a sheep. Ba, ba, ba. Anyhow. So, Jesus said in verse 37, If... I do not do the works of my Father. Don't believe me. Jesus said, look, in Deuteronomy, they were told in the Word of God how to recognize a false prophet. They said, if a false prophet comes to you and he says, something's going to take place and it doesn't happen, don't listen to him. Period. Ever. Don't listen to him. He's a false prophet. Do you know that we have whole cults that exist today because they put all their hope and faith in false prophets that made false prophecies, yet they're going to base their eternal security, their eternal life upon a false prophet. Hmm, imagine. Then we have the, the next thing he says in Deuteronomy. If he gives a, a proclamation and it comes true, but he tells you to worship anyone other than the Most High God, he's a false prophet. Don't believe him. And here Jesus has come to them and said, Listen, if I tell you I'm the Son of God, If I share with you that I am the Messiah and my works do not line up with what I say, you should stone me. But the problem was what? Everything lined up. The blind will see. The lame will run like a deer. All these things will take place. They remember just two months earlier trying to kill Jesus because he made a blind man see. 
They were so frustrated. But you see, folks, it wasn't that they, that they couldn't tell the miracles. The problem was they didn't believe the word. They didn't believe what God had told them beforehand. They didn't believe. And as a result, their life was unchanged. Today, as we study the Scriptures, and and as we go through the Scriptures, we'll see taught this concept of the imminent return of Christ. What does that mean? That means that Christ could return at any moment. Why is that an important doctrine in the church? Because John tells us in 1 John chapter 3 that everyone who has this hope within him purifies himself even as he is pure. Why is that important? How am I going to live my day if I believe Jesus is coming back today? Does that change how I live my day? Does that change how I behave? Does that change who I'm reaching out to and, and, and how I'm conducting myself? It makes a difference. Jesus said, now, the, the, wicked in a, in a, uh, the wicked servant says in his heart, what? My master delays. It's not coming back. And what, what happened to that servant? He was drinking and partying and doing all this stuff. Why? Because he didn't really believe the word. What the word said. We put our faith and trust in what the word says. We believe in our heart. We say, yes, these things are true. I want to live. Doesn't God call us to live every day like it's our last? Doesn't he call us to, to reach out to the lost, to have a burden for those whom we can touch their lives? Doesn't he want us to be ready? So that on that day, whether by, through the rapture or, or through death, when we see Jesus face to face, what do you want to hear? Do you want to hear, man, I'm sure surprised you made it here. That's not what I'm going for. That would be a drag. When I appear and I see my Savior finally for the first time face to face, I want to hear, well done. Good and faithful servant. I want to hear, well done. But you see, if I take God's word and I say, ah, you know, this is just words on a page, I become like the Pharisees, Pharisaical. And then it's about rules and regulations and do this, don't do that. And, and all these other things become so important. And the next thing you know, I can't even recognize the voice of Jesus. The Pharisees, you follow that train of thought far enough down the line, they weren't his sheep. Why weren't they his sheep? Because they didn't believe the word. They didn't believe what Jesus was saying. So what do they do? Jesus said, but if I do these works that God has given me to do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. Clear evidence through all these things. But what's it say? Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. Folks, Jesus is walking away From the last time, he's going to reach out publicly. He's going to focus in now on his disciples. He's going to focus in on on that inner circle. Why? Because he can see the cross on the horizon. It's looming closer and closer. And he's going to focus in on John on those, those final few days. He's going to focus in on those final months. And then finally focus in on the, on the last few hours. John's going to spend more time on, and more chapters in regard to that than he does on anything else. 
as Jesus reaches out to those who believe his word, to his what? Sheep. To his sheep. Are we his sheep? Jesus leaves this place in verse 40, and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing, and there he stayed, Beth Bara, the place where the children of Israel first had entered into the land. There he is, at the, at the beginning place of the footsteps of the nation of Israel. There the Messiah waits. And it says, many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him. What did John say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God, which does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Takes away the sin of the world. It's true. A promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Last I checked, women didn't have seed. So what is it speaking of? Well, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 7, 14, right? And God himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. And you will call him God with us. The lamb. The sacrifice. That paves the way so that you and I, we can have a relationship with Him. Why does John share this with us? So that we can know that Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah. And that by believing on His name, we would have salvation. What's His name? Jesus. Yehoshua. God is salvation. That's what His name means. God is salvation. By believing in His name, you will have everlasting life. That we can believe the truth of what God's Word says, and the truth does what? The truth will set us free. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for this time that we can come before you. We thank you for the truth of what your word teaches. We thank you, Lord, that that we can receive the word and we can say, "Ah, this is God's word for me today. And Lord, by your spirit, you're speaking to, to each of our hearts. By your spirit, you're dealing with things in each of our lives. Lord, you're calling us out to, 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 to make changes. Lord, you're calling us out to, to set our focus where it needs to be. Lord, you're calling us out to take your word seriously and, and believe you. And not be afraid or dismayed. To not be afraid of their faces when they come against us. And not to be worried about all these other situations. Because our lives are completely and utterly submitted to you. Father, we may have to do that 20 times a day. But when we do, aren't we being obedient? However many times it takes. May we come before you, Lord, and submit ourselves to you and ask for your guidance and leading. Pray for your empowering, to empower your body to affect the world around us, our neighbors, our friends, our family, the people we love. Lord, give us that 
that understanding of, Father, how we can take your word and say, I want to live today like this is the last chance I have to share. I want to live today in an expectancy that I could see your face at any moment. I want to I want to occupy till you come. I want to move forward and do the things God that you're laying on my heart and I'm tired of being afraid. Your word declares to us, Lord, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love Your word declares in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God is poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to be a people who live not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. Father, Lord, we lift up this day to you. Father, we lift up this week to you. It's yours. Use us in the way that you see fit. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and the glory for what you accomplish in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have a a moment.